Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe, read by David Heath. It was many and many year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. In this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and to be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love. I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that winged seraphis of heaven, coveted her and me. And this is the reason that, long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee. So that her highborn kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out by the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above, nor the demons down under the sea, can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, and her sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the surrounding sea. That was David Heath with Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. This month we are covering Edgar Allan Poe all month long on Black Clock Audio Tales. And uh, in the studio up next, we will have Ken Height. I mean, Ken Height won't be in the studio. I talked to him in the studio on my end. I wasn't sitting in my living room. You can help support the show by checking out bunnieslippers.com and founditemclothing.com. Two sponsors of the show. Uh, Tell them we sent you in the, you know, when they go, hey, how'd you find out? Also, check us out on Facebook Instagram, Twitter. We're on Facebook at Black Clock Audio Tales and PGTTCM. You can look for us there too. Just look for PGTTCM. That's P for Peter. G as in giraffe. T as in tiger. T as in tiger. C as in Charles. M as in monster. PGTTCM.com. Look for us, find us, support the show, and all that fun stuff. All right, here's some Ken Height talking about Poe. So, hey, Ken, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales, doing a special about Edgar Allan Poe. Hey, thanks for having me, DB. Um, At some point, we are literally going to get to a place where my knowledge is so thin and so superficial that it will actually be a better idea just to read the first paragraph of the Wikipedia entry than to talk to me. (laughs) We're not quite there yet, but, you know, as you keep going to 
greater and greater artists. You know, you you start doing like the the um, uh, I don't know the the Jane Austen episode, and I'm gonna have to say, all right, I, I can't help you. I'm <laughs> just a fan. I have no knowledge here. Or the or the Dickens episode, or God forbid, like the Pynchon episode. I'll be like, very well, long books. You know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't contact you last month for Jack London because I'm like, uh, I don't know what Ken's gonna have to say about Jack London. <laughs> I, I I'll tell you what I I loved Jack London when I was a kid, um, uh, an adolescent, uh, which I think is one of those ages you can read Jack London and just really really get. He's like Edgar Rice Burroughs and oh, yeah. Robert E. Howard that way. That it's very very. You know, ah, I want to go to Alaska. Ah, testosterone. What is this thing? Uh, moment. And then, you know, as you know, as you get older, you read things like um, uh, uh, the Sea Wolf and the Iron Heel, and you're like, man, Jack London's got a lot going on. It's not just setting fires <laughs> and aiming dogs. It's yep, a big yep. story. Very yeah. Good. So I, I I bowled through Jack London in I think like freshman year of college because my mom gave me like all of the collected Jack London to take with me, and I, I think I read them all then and just. Really, really love Jack London, and then sort of like have ne- never dared to go back and start a fight with him again. Yeah. <laughs> this is all very valuable Poe information, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. My response to Jack London. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as I, uh, I, I mentioned uh, off mic, I, uh, you, you said that uh, you're, you, you have a, a bit of knowledge when it comes to Poe, and I said, well, that's good because my, my, my knowledge is kind of like... Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to say remedial, possibly, but I think that might be a little, uh, a little bit complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't even remediated it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just know, mustache guy, maybe a raven, I think, of some kind. Yeah, he's, he's that big-headed guy who, like, I don't know, got dysentery or died somehow, and I think he married I, his cousin, uh-huh. but that may be Jerry Lee Lewis, too. <laughs> Well, Poe was the Jerry Lee Lewis of his time. I mean, I think everyone knows that. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, he he, he um, uh, was one of the first people who could make a living by going around touring and reading his poetry. Yeah. Um, it was not a great living, and it was, you know, very much like a pop star. There was a moment where people would all pay to see Edgar Allan Poe, and then there was a moment where no one cared again. Okay. But that was a that was a big part of his um, his sort of uh, he had he had a I don't want to say celebrity but I guess he had a celebrity and it was a, a sort of a fleeting celebrity but for for a long time after that uh, he could sort of get entree to nice people's houses by being oh he's the poet and then they would realize oh he's the very badly wired poet and then they would sort of <laughs> urge him to leave their nice house. Okay, so was was he like uh, the first American edge lord there, uh, showing up at people's I, houses, being edgy and talking I, about? <laughs> I think he was just showing up at people's houses, and then he sort of kept being Edgar Allan Poe. I'm not sure that he was an edge lord in the sense that he was trying to do that. I mean, all right, let's let's back that up just a tiny bit. He always was trying to start fights in the literary world. Okay, he was a very very acerbic critic he was a great critic if you i mean if you want to study 19th century literature mm-hmm. and god knows why you would but if you do you can you, know, you can start a lot worse places than just by reading poe's collected criticism okay because it shows what a really first class mind does when faced with the bulk of 19th century writing and 
obviously his critical perspective is not going to be yours probably, but he's really, really very good as a guy who is responding to these uh, trends in literature and then in his own literature attempting to counter or redirect them, but also in his criticism is saying, this is what's wrong. This is how you do a story. This is what is good in a, in a short story. This is what is good in a, in, in, in a, in a piece of, of art. And, uh, he tied that in with this sort of very, um, proto scientific view of the world, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, was fairly advanced, but he was one of the very first people who said, look, since we know that science is real and that all of the world is put together according to a pattern, we should be putting literature together according to a pattern. And it wasn't sort of the moral pattern of the Augustans, but it was sort of a, the, the world has to make sense and you have to bring that together. And of course, for someone like Edgar Allan Poe to be saying that there is an underlying logic and thesis to the world is very interesting because of course we think of him as this great chronicler of madness mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and bad behavior in general. And um, that that sort of that duality, I, I think, is very similar to Lovecraft's, where Lovecraft, of course, believes utterly in science and materialism, and uh, as science, at least as modern as his limited math can take him, and simultaneously is desperately trying to rescue poetry and the Gothic and uh, irrationality. Uh, the fear of the unknown, literally, as these core principles. So Poe, again, I mean, there's a reason Lovecraft called him his god of fiction. And mm-hmm. I think also Lovecraft, if he'd read Poe's criticism, which I don't know how much of it he did read, um, would probably have called him his god of criticism as well. I mean, he he read a ton of Poe. So, And Poe has Poe's got a lot going on. And then the trouble with, and I think maybe this is where you're running into, is um, uh, Poe's... Uh, uh, literary rival, uh, Rufus Griswold. Uh, well, I think Griswold made, or Poe made Griswold his, um, uh, his literary executor. Okay. And then Rufus Griswold hated Poe. And so he wrote this big biography of Poe that was basically just a constant character assassination. So he said, um, that he was crazy and that he was a drunkard and all of these other things that we believe now because he gets in there with that first biography when the striking when the iron is hot and had the rights to all of Poe's fiction for a good long time for 30 years. And so all of our images of Poe want, you know, whether we want to or not are very much tainted by, and sort of the mythic Poe is still this creation of Rufus Griswold, not the actual life of Poe. I mean, Poe probably had, for example, a medical condition in which he was hypersensitive to alcohol. Okay. And so he would take like two drinks and it would be a bad evening. And by and large, he didn't drink. But every now and again, it was the 19th century, literally everyone drank. There was a limit to how you could be a teetotaler in a world where you couldn't have clean water, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and you certainly couldn't have clean water in the tuberculosis neighborhoods where Poe lived. Yeah. And so he's kind of against his will forced to um, uh, to live this life that he that he can't sustain. He obviously wants to live the life of a Virginia gentleman in the north, which you can't sustain for a couple of reasons. Among them, he was too poor. And he he keeps running into these conditions. So even if he could have lived as an abstemious aristocrat if he'd had money, 
as a poor person living in kind of some very rough neighborhoods in New York and Philadelphia, he wasn't able to um, uh, uh, to, to stay sober because he had this medical condition. And then, of course, Griswold says that he, he takes laudanum and he's a, a hashish and opium-drenched uh, madman, and none of which is true. I, as far as anyone can tell, Poe probably never took uh, laudanum, or if he did, he took it once or twice medicinally and then didn't have a habit. Hmm. Um, and, and so the... Um, uh, the, uh, I mean, and Griswold went so far as to forge letters from Poe to back up his story. So everything that you that you think you know about Poe, a lot of it is going to have been made by his worst enemy right after he died. And I mean, he did uh, marry his cousin. I mean, that's true. Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, uh, his, um, I mean, he was uh, he was a guy who I think he loved the feeling of being in love a great deal. I mean, if he had an addiction, I think it was that. Yeah. And he mar- when he married Virginia Clem, who was his first cousin, um, uh, he, he met her because um, he was staying with his aunt, Maria Clem, and fell in love with Virginia Clem, her daughter, who was, I think, 13 at the time or even younger. And um, uh, he married her... Uh, as soon as he possibly could, which was way too soon. And then she died of tuberculosis and he was torn up about it, but he was still trying to, I mean, he was still open to falling in love. He still, you know, courted, um, uh, there was a, 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 a poetess, uh, named Sarah Whitman who lived in Providence. He was trying to, hmm. um, court her. And again, the stories are, it was because he would get drunk and have to get thrown out of the house. But again, it's you're there. It's sherry hour. You take one sherry and you become unstable. Um, he's not able to uh, to live that, and also he's probably very genuinely traumatized by the death of his uh, his little wife. So, and again, this is before the Victorians uh, turned stuffy conventionality into the way you're supposed to respond mm-hmm. to uh, death. So his exaggerated mourning which would not have been exaggerated because it would have been genuine, but it would have seemed exaggerated to us now and possibly to Sarah Whitman's friends and mother, um, again, would have been a, a black mark against him uh, to her. But he was he was a, a, a guy who had a lot of, I think, very sort of complex drives, and he had, what is more interesting, a really first-class intellect. And I think a lot of people sort of come to Poe and they think he's this sort of romantic uh poet who's just driven by his muse and his muse is his dead cousin and he's you know drinking uh laudanum and coughing his lungs out with tuberculosis and having all this romantic poet stuff going on but they forget that he's just got an amazing first class brain that's driving all this and observing all this and recording all this and that's why stories like um uh fall the house of usher Mm -hmm. and still work on literally every level when you read them 150 200 years later Hmm. Um, and he's not just this sort of, you know, uh, uh, evanescent figure thrown around by his strong emotions. And, you know, they, he was so pure that his poetry works. His poetry works because he thought very, very hard about it. And his stories work for the same reason. He thought very, very hard about stories. Huh. Interesting. Uh, do, do you have any particular post stories that you are Ken Height favorites? Well, I mean, I, I think I may have given it away when I said uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Sure. 
which is an amazing story. And it packs so much into so little. And because Poe does go back to the same themes over and over again, you know, if you love Fall of the House of Usher and you love Lygia, uh, to some extent, you're, you have to question, do I like Lygia because it reminds me so much of Usher? Um, I mean, it's, it's still a great story, but so much of my love for it is because of the same sort of reflective themes of, of life after death and then the question of the boundary between the living and the dead and obsession uh, that, are, that are so strong in Poe. I remember when I was a little kid, I really, really liked The Black Cat. Um, and then as I have read it, certainly after getting a cat, I, I, I am very out of sympathy with that story. And <laughs> I, I agree that Poe was also out of sympathy with the narrator of the story, but it's, it, it cuts a little too close to home. Um, and, the, and the story is uh, just unflinching in the way that it sort of looks at that man collapse. It, it's far more of a portrait of, I think, what genuine madness must look like than say uh, the Telltale Heart, which is really just about the effect. Mm -hmm. If you follow me, yeah. I mean, so again, and to me, for me to be dissing a Poe story as just about the effect is like, I don't know, it's like dissing a, a Hitchcock story as just about the suspense. I mean, it's <laughs> still freaking Hitchcock, but but the but I think that with Poe's, what I like, maybe superior is the wrong word, but the Poe stories that I like best. They have that effect, that unity of, of effect that he talked about in his criticism, but they have so much more going on around it. You know, you can look at Usher just endlessly. You can look at it as, you know, autobiography. You can look at it as uh, as the, you know, understanding of his own doomed ambitions. You can look at it as just what it is, a, a, a great horror story. You can look at it as a gothic. You can look at it as a, um, a, a literal prose poem so many different directions you can come at that, whereas the Black Cat is really just a story of what it is, yeah. which is a story of human disintegration. And in a way, I mean, you can't really say he prefigures Maupassant because Maupassant was reading Poe in French and deliberately directing himself at Poe. Yeah. But he prefigures a lot of what we think of as the job of the novel now, okay. which is to talk about the interior life of the character uh, almost entirely. And with um, uh, and with, uh, with with the Black Cat, it's so pure and concentrated in that it's obviously it's not a novel, it's a short story, but mm -hmm. it's but it's very modern in that way. Whereas I kind of prefer my Poe to be one that's maybe a little more 19th century in the sense that it's a little more connected to the literary forms that he's addressing in the rest of his fiction. And again, hmm. you can look at something like Arthur Gordon Pym, which is an amazing book and the question of is it or is it not unfinished will just that would kill the whole podcast if we wanted to talk about that <laughs> uh, and it's a it's a great book but i think that poet novel length like lovecraft at novel length um he he can sort of spin his legs a little bit sometimes mm -hmm. so i love pym but i don't think that pym is the sort of masterpiece that say dracula is All if right. you follow me yeah yeah um, and i think it's because poe has so you know, tuned his art and tuned his aesthetic to that shorter length that when he does come up with a bigger story, it's um, uh, it's a little harder for him to 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 get it out and and, and, and nail it down. Um, again, you can go back if you were talking to a, a detective guy instead of a horror guy, you could talk about um, uh, 
uh, Marie Roger, which I think is the best of the Dupins. Okay. Um, and, and again, I love the Rue Morgue, but the Rue Morgue is very much a story that once you've read it, you can't read it a second time. Yeah. You can, yeah. but you can't read it as productively because <laughs> so much is the ending that, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, uh, uh, the most dangerous game is, is mm -hmm. a story that is a terrific story, but once you've read the ending, you're rereading the story knowing the ending, and it's an entirely different experience. Yeah. Um, which is, I don't think, the case of, of stories, even with grotesque or exciting endings like Usher, where the journey there is is so great. With with, um, uh, with Rue Morgue, because it's structured as a mystery, not as a horror, mm -hmm. um, knowing the ending is just sort of there. But I think Marie Roger, because it is a, about an actual murder, the murder of Mary Rogers mm -hmm. uh, of New York, that um, it is forced to be part of a society and, and, and a story that sort of, like I, like I look for in Poe of all places, this connection to the outside world. Um, the, uh, the story winds up, I, I think, being stronger just because, you know, Marie Roger is, is, a, is a quote unquote real, but actually a real human being. The people who are torn apart by the orangutan, they're just ciphers. They, they don't really exist. Yeah. And they barely existed to Poe, much less to anyone. But in Marie Roger, he has to address human motives, which is not the case in um, uh, in uh, um, in Rue Morgue. And again, Purloined Letter is just Poe sort of being smarter than everyone, which is great. Yeah. But I, I want all of I want all my Poe in Poe. And it, it, it maybe it's a little unfair because He's like, I just gave you gothic Poe, and, and now you're saying you don't like Rue Morgue. What's wrong with you, Height? <laughs> but um, uh, but I but I, I think that uh, Marie Roger sort of is, is the best of the detective ones. But, I mean, they're all really good. You have to get way down the list before you get to actually sort of bad Poe. I mean, even stuff that you don't that you don't read that much, like William Wilson is a, is a really great story, and it's creepy and strange uh, just in its effect uh, because... Again, Poe is, is so good at tying things off, sort of, and then leaving the bigger question unanswered. Mm -hmm. And it, it works really well in William Wilson. It works really well in um, Man in the Crowd. If someone likes Poe, uh, what direction should you send them off into? To I, Besides Lovecraft, I mean, like, what would you say? Go check this out. Um, I think that if you are a, a big Poe fan, um, you can either go back, like I say, and, and look at the gothics that he's responding to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think that if you're a fan of poe and you um are a fan of his poetry that maybe you can go look at uh at not just byron who i think is sort of the the closest thing mm -hmm. on the other side of the pond to poe but you could look even at, at a, a worse poet like southey um but whose work is i think where poe jumps off from you know metrically so Thalaba the Destroyer or something like that. This, when Southey is writing a gothic, um, he, you will definitely be reading sort of second-rate stuff, but I think you'll, you'll get a lot of, um, uh, of intellectual use out of it. No. And then if you like Poe and go forward, obviously there's Lovecraft, but there's an awful lot of, um, of later authors that go back and, and sort of jump on Poe. And it, it's not even a question of, guys who are influenced by Poe, which is literally everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think you can, you can look at, for example, um, there's a there's a really fun novel called Usher's Passing, I think it is, mm -hmm. by um, uh, Robert McCammon, and it's a Southern Gothic about the, the other half of the Usher family. Okay. And 
it, it, that's sort of a, it, I think it was probably like an airport paperback original, but it, it, it's very, very clever and very, very good. And it sort of will provide you a uh, commercial link, if I want to say that, to um, uh, to Poe. And then you, if you wanted to, you could go back and read Faulkner, who I guess is probably Poe's, you know, real descendant in grown-up people literature. Okay. Um, uh, I, you know, I think that Poe is sort of, despite being in the North, he's writing a lot of Southern Gothic uh, or stuff that can become the Southern Gothic. All right. I, I can't think of anything else uh, that I can uh, want to ask about Poe for just this, uh, I don't know, I guess, Ken Heights intro to Poe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Ken, for talking Poe with us, and it's good to have you back on the show. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I mean, Poe is, is such a gigantic figure that he's one of those guys like William Blake or Lovecraft that if you start down the road, you can accidentally discover yourself like buying the complete uh, T.A. Mabbitt uh, annotated Poe and going down that um, uh, that uh, that uh, that maelstrom, I guess I could say, and oh, since yeah. we're doing Poe. Um, <laughs> th there's, there's no stop, and there's so much scholarship about Poe and so much information about Poe that, I mean, it, it buries uh, Lovecraft scholarship, as, and probably justifiably so, sure. but... Um, but you will never get out of that uh, out of that uh, uh, lawn maze if you, or out of that maelstrom if you um, if you let yourself. So, you know, if you like Poe, that can be your hobby forever. Okay, good to <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Ken. No, no, no problem. Happy to do it. All right. Thanks again, everyone who was on the show today: Ken Height, uh, David Heath, and. Edgar Allan Poe. Great job, everybody. And if you think I did a great job, why not go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, and give it a thumbs up, a five stars. Uh, way to go, dude. Or just let people know about it. Share the show and check out what Ken is doing in the world, Ken Height, and what David Heath is doing in the world. Speaking of two things that both of them are doing, why not check out uh, uh, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, which will be appearing on this podcast stream before sooner than later. And also Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff, which does not appear on this podcast stream, but you can find it anywhere you find podcasts. All right. Thank you again and have a wonderful day and a po month. Okay. Peace. <laughs>